The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The federal government is under fire for its immigration policy. Several economists are saying the current number of immigrants is too high and adding to the strain on affordable housing. This week, the National Bank of Canada economist said that this country is currently in a population trap and needs to cut immigration numbers significantly. This week, the immigration minister, Mark Miller, responded saying that putting a cap on international students could help. Housing has and, and continues to be a concern acutely so now in a post-COVID scenario with the increase in interest rates with, you know, supply challenges, but also just affordability challenges, people paying their mortgages at the end of the month or the end of a couple of weeks. But it goes with looking at what our immigration levels are, whether it's permanent immigration or temporary, uh, that latter being of some concern and something I'm going to act on this year. It isn't immigrants that, that raised interest rates, but volume is volume and it's something that we need to look at. Students are only part of a much larger picture when it comes to the immigration numbers and the impact of those numbers on this country. Jean-Francois Perrault is chief economist at Scotiabank. Mikhail Scuderit is an economics professor at the University of Waterloo. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. Jean-Francois, as I mentioned, the National Bank of Canada says that this country is in a population trap. What does that mean? Well, I think they're basically arguing that, uh, and this has been true for quite a while, actually, that uh, our population is rising more rapidly than the capital stock, so the number, like the investments in the economy. So as a result of that, you've got more and more people that are sharing, in some sense, um, the same amount of technology or technology is growing at a less rapid pace. And that means that productivity is falling. That means that we are becoming, in some sense, less competitive as an economy because investment hasn't been able to keep up with you know, this astoundingly strong rate of population growth that we've seen over the last couple of years. Canada welcomed 455,000 permanent residents over the last 12 months, plus more than 800,000 non-permanent residents. That includes international students, it includes temporary foreign workers as well. Is cutting back on those numbers the answer to that trap, Jean-Francois? Well, listen, I mean, there is no question that um, it's impossible to, to fully accommodate uh, at the speed at which this is occurring, like, sorry, the population with the speed which is occurring. There's no, you know, you add a couple million people in the space of a couple of years. That's a strange, it would strain any system's ability to accommodate that. So there's no question it's been too fast. Now, the solution is, you know, obviously thinking about slowing that down. The challenge on the slowing it down part is, um, you know, if you slow down, say, foreign student uh, entries, then you've got to think about a way to make universities whole in some sense. So, you know, do you raise tuition fees? Do you raise the amount of funding provided to post-secondary educations? Uh, on the flip side, from a worker perspective, a temporary foreign worker perspective, I mean, there's no question that having those workers in the economy um, has been needed for quite a while, given how tight the labor market is. Mm. And there was no question that that's actually probably led to lower wage growth. Otherwise, we didn't be the case. So from a, you know, from a business perspective, you can understand why there is such interest in that program. So rolling back either to those two things, which is what's required to slow the rate of population growth, you know, comes with some consequences that you know will, will, would need to be addressed. 
Mikhail Studer, this is being re- reflected in, in polling numbers. Uh, Leger poll uh, from November suggested that 75% of Canadians who were polled said that they feel that an increase in the number of immigrants coming to Canada is uh, having an impact uh, on housing and, and healthcare in particular. You've talked about the absorptive capacity of countries. What is that? I think there's different dimensions to think about the absorptive capacity of economies, not, not so much countries, but, but, but economies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think part of it is what Jean-Francois has been talking about. It, it, it's sort of the, 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 ex, the extent to which an economy can grow its capital stock. Its capital stock is much more than the technology of workers. It's, it's all the, the stuff that allows workers to be productive. It's the machinery, the equipment. It's the offices, you know, the factories. It's the public transportation systems. It's the, the healthcare system. It's the, you know, the housing that, that we sleep in at night and allows us to wake up rested and get to work and be productive in the morning. All that stuff is growing more slowly than the population, than the absorptive capacity. We're pushing up against that. It means each one of us is going to be less productive on average, and that's going to tend to lower average living standards in the population. How much of an impact does immigration and immigration numbers have on the housing shortage in this country? You know, Matt, people may throw around numbers on this. The, the, the question you're asking me as I think about it is, if we had kept immigration rates at the way they were for the first 20 years of this new millennium, they were about 0.8% of the population every year and didn't really change very, very much every year. So what you seem to be, what, what I interpret your question as is if we had kept them at 0.8%, what would housing prices look like now? And there's no question that there's something else going on. They would still have increased. How much higher would they have been? How close would they have been to what they actually are now or how much higher are they now? If anybody tells you they know the answer to that question, they're not telling you the truth, Matt. <laughs> Canadian Press, Jean-Francois, said that the federal government knew for two years that housing construction had not kept pace with population growth. What is it that the government could do now to address that, do you think? Uh, well, it, it's almost impossible to do anything about it in the short run, which is part of the problem with this immigration surge, right, is you've got a very large and rapidly increasing population, and the residential housing stock can't increase all that rapidly. Um, you know, there is, as, you, as I think everybody understands now, a, a clear understanding that supply is an issue that, you know, and this is a longstanding issue, actually, you know, even before the surge in immigration, we've known for quite a while that that kind of housing construction has not kept up with population growth, even when population growth wasn't as rapid as it is now. So there's been this, this, this shift in mentality, understanding that supply constraints are a large part of the issue. Um, so, you know, dealing with municipalities, provincial issues, there are kind of shortages on the construction side. There's a broad, broad range of issues that make it difficult for the housing stock to increase very rapidly. And, and you know, the government's going to chip away at some of those things, federal, provincial, and municipal. But it's completely unrealistic to think that, you know, in the next couple of years or three, four years, we will have made enough progress on that front to make a meaningful dent in this kind of the massive gap that exists between the amount of homes that we need versus the amount of homes that we have. Pierre Polyev, the leader of the federal conservatives, said in a speech in uh, Winnipeg, last week, that we need to make a link between the number, these are his words, we need to make a link between the number of homes built and the number of people we invite as new Canadians. Is that, Mikhail Skurud, the way out of this? No, I, I, I quite strongly don't think that that's the, the way out of this. Why not? You know, because, the, you know, economics of immigration, immigrants have a potential to contribute to the economy in a broad way. 
Um, that potential is there. There's no question. We are, we are now far beyond that potential. We're sort of pushing on that potential too hard. And, and so the, the, you know, the potential is not about you know, housing stocks. What it's really about in Canada and what we've relied on for decades and been exceptionally successful in is attracting the world's best and brightest. It's about increasing the average human capital stock of the, not the physical capital stock that we've been talking about the human capital stock which is also very important for economic growth it's the skills and talents of new immigrants and so that we don't want to tie our hands you know in any given year if you have an exceptional applicant pool of talent why do you want to tie your hands to the to the housing stock in that year you know housing stocks can adjust um, and they will respond to the, the the inflow of new immigrants you don't want to kind of turn that equation backwards you've been a critic of of the immigration policy of this government for a number of years. I just wonder broadly, it seems as though the conversation has changed. Why do you think there has been a reluctance to talk about this in this country? Mm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, that question, Matt, because, you know, the, there was a narrative that, that began to arise in this country in 2015 that sort of increasing immigration rates in this country would be a solution and antidote to all our economic problems. And for economists like me that have been studying economics for two decades and kind of understanding the challenges, in particular in the Canadian context, of the economics of immigration, you know, this, this really did not sit well. You know, I'm an immigrant myself, Matt. I absolutely love immigration. You know, I grew up in Mississauga in an immigrant community, but I'm an also an economist and I sort of understand the models and, and, and what the data looks like. And, and I knew there are risks here. When you push too hard on that potential, there are trade-offs and there's a certain segment of society that feels those trade-offs more than others. And what I worry about mm. and what I was worried about in 2015 is that that segment of society starts to become more agitated and more concerned about immigration. And, and so sentiments around immigration change in a way that to me is very troubling. Is there, is so there, I, is there a belief, though, that if you talk about immigration numbers and, and w whether the numbers square with your ability as an economy to absorb those who arrive, that, that if you talk about those numbers, that, that, then that means you are anti-immigration? Matt, so I, I, I've been talking about those numbers since 2015 when this narrative arose. I, I, all I can tell you, Matt, is that nobody likes a cold shower. And, and so I've been largely ignored. I've tried to engage with groups like the Century Initiative, the group who you're meeting with, the next person you're speaking with this morning. You know, they, they, you, you, it's not that you get, you're called xenophobic, but you're just, you're, you're shut down. You're, you're not, you're ignored. And, and that has changed recently. Now I seem to, yeah, people like you and people are calling me, but that for, for at least six years, you know, like nobody wanted to talk to the academic economists on this issue. We've been writing about this for, for nearly, yeah, since 2016, we've been, we met with the immigration minister in 2016 to talk about this, but it was completely silenced. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, we wanted to believe the story so badly and nobody wants to hear, you know, it's, it's a cold shower that the story isn't true. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. 
I want to bring another guest into this conversation. Irfan Raji is chair of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, the executive chair of Mob Squad. It brings technology talent to Canada from around the world. Irfan, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. Do you believe this country is caught in a population trap, that we are welcoming too many people given the, the, the not the resources that we have, but the ability structurally uh, to absorb those people in this economy? Yeah, it's a good question, Matt. And I think that this is, you know, it's a complicated question with a nuanced answer. It's the difference between temporary residents and permanent residents. You you mentioned earlier, you know, Canada welcomed 455,000 permanent residents last year. We also had 800,000 international students. Or five years ago, we had 300,000 international students. Well, those extra 500,000 people have to live somewhere. And so if you ask me, do we need 800,000 students studying skills that maybe this economy doesn't need, living in houses that we don't have? Of course, that's not sustainable. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This, as Mikhail's outlined and, and JF's outlined, is Canada's opportunity as well. I mean, investing in human capital is how this economy will win. And I'm talking to two economists, unfortunately. You know, I'm clubbed here. But, you know, GDP is just capital plus labor. And I think we have to look at these individual issues. So on labor, we still have the opportunity internationally to use our immigration policy to attract the best and brightest to build a, the best economy. You know, we do have need for IT workers. We do have need for skilled trades. And we do have need for agricultural workers. But the other side of it is the capital question. And, you know, JF brought up the investment in capital stock. And let's not conflate these issues. Canada and Canadian business for a long time has been underinvesting in capital stock and things like intellectual property. That's been an issue. These are two separate issues that require two separate solutions. But, but at the heart of it, the question is, are we welcoming too many people? And again, with 455,000 permanent residents plus 800,000 non-permanent residents, is that number too high? The National Bank of Canada said that the population growth shouldn't exceed three to 500,000 people total. Yeah, and if you look at permanent residents, it's within that target. But that's, right? that's total. That's total, including permanent re and non-permanent residents. Yeah, and so if you if you ask me the question, is this sustainable long term? It's not just about the number, Matt. It's also about the type of people. And so, you know, if this economy had two hundred thousand people or a hundred thousand people, would that be more sustainable potentially? But if we don't have housing workers and skilled trades, that's also not sustainable. Um, do I think that eight hundred thousand international students is too high? Personally, I do think that is too high, and I think we have to think about this. And I'm I'm glad that this conversation has come into the public realm because I believe that immigration is one of the most important tools to have Canada win internationally, economically, and it requires, you know, thoughtful public response. Mikhail, one of the things that came out, it's interesting, this was from polling in Enveronics, suggesting that among those who are raising concerns around the number of people coming to this country are first-generation Canadians themselves. What does that tell you? So if we know anything about the economics of immigration, it is that there are distributional effects. Uh, that is quite simply that there are winners and there are losers. We all don't benefit in the same way. And so if you want to benefit from heightened immigration, you want to make sure that in every market, you're sort of on the opposite side. Where immigrants are selling stuff, you want to be buying, like labor, right? Um, and where immigrants are buying stuff, like mortgages and housing, you want to be selling stuff, <laughs> But if you're on the same side of the market as new immigrants, if you're living in an immigrant community in Brampton or Mississauga or Scarborough, and you have to compete for housing or for jobs and perhaps low wage jobs 
in, in communities where there are many newcomers, then, then you're going to not see those same benefits. You might actually feel some of those growing pains. Mm. And so when you look at the polling, that's what you see, Matt, is it that the biggest increases in dissatisfaction with immigration are actually in first-generation immigrant communities. This is the communities I'm describing. Sean, first of all, if we reduce rates of immigration, what do we have to change in order to fill the jobs that newcomers are, are taking? Um, it, could, it could be jobs that, that uh, international students are doing uh, while they are here studying, for example, helping to pay for that degree. What, ha- what has to change if we reduce those numbers? Well, one thing that I think is, is, is clear that would change if we reduce the number of foreign students or the number of transferring workers, in which case, in some cases, they're actually winning one of the same, um, is if you pull out a lot of workers out of, say, we'll call it kind of the low-wage economy, um, then you are effectively, well, I assume, leading to what would be higher wages for that part of the economy, right? So so one of the consequences of doing less on, on, on kind of that non-permanent immigration side is it will be more expensive for businesses to hire folks. And that's, you know, that's obviously not a great thing if you're a business, but it's not necessarily a bad thing from an economic perspective, right? If you if you have a shortage of labor, then you want the market to price labor at the level that is, you know, kind of clears the market in some sense. And that, in doing that, might actually generate uh, more investment than you otherwise would get. I mean, one of the challenges I think we've got with the current uh, immigration setup is we are effectively, you know, government's effectively subsidizing the cost of labor. It's making it cheaper for businesses to hire workers than otherwise would be the case if they weren't reliant as much on foreign workers, mm-hmm. foreign labor. And in so doing, kind of you're, you're altering the relative cost of investing in tangible assets versus versus workers. So you're making it cheaper, relatively speaking, to hire workers as opposed to deploy technology. So, so I think you know if you if you scale back on the worker side, then maybe you're also effectively encouraging businesses or forcing businesses to invest more than they than they've been doing. Just in the last few minutes, I'll ask all three of you this just briefly then. How do we go about striking this balance to making sure this is a country that welcomes immigrants, has has a long tradition of welcoming immigrants, but making sure that that welcome is true and robust, but also making sure that the welcome serves serves the economy and and serves those who are arriving here. Jean-François, how do you strike that balance? Well, I mean, we, we obviously don't have that balance now. I think I think I think there's it's virtually impossible to strike that balance without a reconsideration of uh, at least non-permanent immigration levels. Mm. Um, you know, to me, that's kind of the starting point. Now, you've got again going back to the beginning, you've got to think about what does that mean in terms of our economy's ability to adapt to that. Like, do we do more to support universities? <laughs> do we are we happy that businesses are paying higher wages and maybe that leads to higher inflation? There are trade-offs there. But I think I think you cannot have a more. It's difficult to see the downside of having less um, less immigration at this point in time relative to what we've been doing the last couple of years. Irfan, briefly, how do we go about the striking this balance in part so that the consensus around immigration that people have hinted at isn't challenged in a way that that we've seen elsewhere? Well, let's not forget, Matt, that immigrants have built this country. You know, it was Italian immigrants that built housing 100 years ago. Sikh immigrants have built housing 40 years ago, where I grew up outside of Vancouver. And immigrants can continue to solve some of the Canada, some of Canada's challenges. And so JF's right that if we pull back immigration, we'll change wage levels. Do Canadians want to make housing even more expensive because skilled trades are not available? I would think not. And so that's the challenge. It's about whom, yeah. right? And so we have to be really thoughtful about it's not just 455,000 people or 500,000 people. It's which people do we need in this economy to build the Canada that we want? Mikhail, last word to you in, in the, the remaining seconds that we have. How, how do you strike this balance? And is having this conversation in part the beginning of, of figuring out what that balance might look like? 
So what's happened over the past five years, very quickly, Matt, is we've moved from an economic class immigrant selection system that was a skill-based point system to something that looks a lot more like a lottery. And that is incentivizing huge numbers of migrants to come to Canada on temporary permits, study permits where they pay exorbitant tuition fees or work permits where they accept terrible wages and poor working conditions to try their luck at this lottery to make a to transition to PR pathway. We need to get back to a rigid, very transparent, clear point system that, that cream skims the talent pool. That's what our economic class immigration needs to do. Go back to what we had in 2019. We'll leave it there, but I imagine this will be the beginning of many conversations on this. Thank you all for being here this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Mikhail Studer is an economics professor at the University of Waterloo. Jean-Francois Perrault, chief economist at Scotiabank, and Irfan Raji is chair of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.